going to get off this suffering, sickness, and death thing. Well, this is where we live. Do you realize we live in the dead zone? Everything around us is dying. We need to know how to deal with it. And you know, when it comes to death, I like what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, To me, there is nothing more fatuous or silly or foolish about mankind than the statement that to think, of, think about death is morbid. He said, that's silly. He said, that's, that's really foolish. To think that to think about death is morbid. That man, the man who refuses to face facts is a fool. In other words, we should think about death. It was, the, uh, it was Jonathan Edwards who said, and again, this may sound morbid to you, but he said, I, he said it was one of his goals that every day he would think about his death. Why? Because it, it readjusts your priorities, right? Now again, not in a morbid way. You're just saying, listen, I'm going to die. And again, the, the reality is we all have that terminal disease called mortality. We're all going to die unless the Lord Jesus comes back, right? And we look forward to him coming back. We look forward to the rapture. Are you looking forward to the rapture? Usually the only people that aren't looking forward to the rapture are the, like the teenagers. Because you know what they always say to Oh, I want to get what? Married. Because marriage, marriage is ultimate bliss, correct? <laughs> the current rate of, the current death rate is 100%. Again, as human beings, we have this terminal disease. Let me give you a couple of facts. Again, we don't like to think about death, and yet worldwide, worldwide three people die every second. 180 every minute, nearly 11,000 people will die in the next hour. And if you look at a whole day, it's about a quarter million. People going from this life to the next. And by the way, there is no such thing as um, extinction. Uh, as, uh, not ex- uh, help me out here, um, annihilation. In other words, we are eternal beings. Once born, you will continue to live, whether in heaven or in hell. That's why the psalmist said, Lord, make me to know my end. Make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a hand breath. And my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. And James picked up on that and quoted that verse in James 4. We're just like a vapor. The other, the psalmist also said, teach us to number our days. That's important. We need to think about death. In fact, the ancient merchants often wrote the words, think of death in large letters on the first page of their accounting book. That's pretty interesting. So every time they open it up, think of death. Again, perspective. I told you a few weeks ago, it was Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, who commissioned a servant to stand in his presence each day and say this, quote, Philip, you will die, end quote. You know, oh, here he comes again. You know, but that's, but that's, that's a wake-up call. Actually, Philip was a wise man to do that. It's interesting, Francis, Francis uh, King Louis XIV decreed that the word death never be uttered in his presence, though. 
But again, it's, a, it's not morbid. It's something that we need to consider. And quite honestly, if we just keep running from it, we're really being foolish because, again, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, we're going we're to all have to face that someday. Now, the good news is this, that Jesus Christ destroyed him. That's Satan who had the power of death. Power in the sense, not that he had the power of killing people, but the power of the fear. Because again, only God, we, we, we find from Job, it's only God that allows you know, whatever happens on this earth. But Satan is used many times um, to kill. But as Jesus said in Matthew 10, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. So again, we don't want to fear uh, Satan. We don't want to fear those who are humans that can uh, kill. But again, fear the one who can kill both body and soul. In fact, um, I was listening to a a guy recently, and he was talking about how in some churches, uh, this is how they look at it, that God's not in control, but they called it this, the sovereignty of Satan. I never had heard that before. The idea is this, that Satan has the power of death and God is just trying to work his good plan in our lives and sometimes God wins and sometimes Satan wins. Isn't that foolish? I mean, that, talk about someone living under fear continually because maybe Satan will win. But again, we know that God is the Almighty One. God is, God is the one who is... Uh, determines the purpose and does everything according to his good pleasure. And our, our lives are in the hands of God. Um, so again, we don't want to look at the whole subject matter of death as morbid. We just need to think through it biblically. And quite honestly, I would hope that you would walk away today even, and to next week, encouraged. Because again, as, it lo- as we look at death in the scriptures, it's very encouraging. It's a graduation in other words, I think of it as treasure. If your treasure is here on this earth, then every day you live, you're moving away from your treasure. But if your treasure is in heaven, which Jesus said, lay up yourself treasures in heaven, then every day you live, you are moving one step closer to your treasure. And how you look at just that thought, where's my treasure? If it's here, it's depressing. If it's there, it's encouraging. And we've got to make sure that we have a biblical mindset on this. Now, you might ask, well, how did Paul face death? Because he said he faced it daily. And he did. He faced death daily because of hostility and animosity and the threats and opposition and persecution. And you know all that. You know, we've studied Paul's life before. Every group of people hated him. The Jews hated him. The Gentiles hated him. I mean, they viewed him as a danger to their religion. They viewed him as a danger to their economic prosperity. And you can see this in the book of Acts. You know, he challenged their their gods, that's their religion, their economic prosperity, because when he came in, now all of a sudden they didn't need their idols. Their economic prosperity was being... uh, damaged, as it were, and therefore they got, you know, very uh, angry with Paul, wanted to kill him. And they also, uh, their political stability, because in that day and age, religion was part of the political system. It wasn't just, they didn't separate it like we do in America. So, so when, when Paul came to a town, those things were being threatened by the, the pagans were threatened in their religion, their prosperity, and their 
political stability. The bottom line was this. Paul was hated. Everywhere he went, he was hated. Everywhere he went, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to bruise him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted, you know. In fact, if you just take a real quick look, uh, since you're in 2 Corinthians already, let's just look at 1 verse 8. And and he just starts mentioning it even right in the chapter 1. Verse 8, it says this, 1-8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. What? Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. So, I mean, he's talking about the sentence of death. Um, Verse 10, Who delivered us from so great a death. He talks death, death, death. Again, not morbid. He's just saying, listen, as I live this life, I'm under this constant sentence, this constant possibility of dying today. Uh, If you go to uh, chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, he calls his body an earthen vessel, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And we saw that a couple weeks ago. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, yet not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. But again, this idea, I am under constant struggle, constant despair as far as uh, being crushed, but not totally crushed, you know, not totally um, destroyed. See, one of the things that's hard for us to even grab this is because we, we have such a comfortable life. But what if, what if you knew that maybe within the next two months you'd be killed? That just gives you a total different perspective of here and there, right? See, that's why it's hard to get our arms around this. Because we kind of have our, we really have our life planned out probably for the next 15 years. Now, God's going to change that, by the way. That's not going to happen. But we have our, you know, because we kind of think this is the way we're going to... But see, we've got to get, as a Christian, we've got to remember, and we've got to discipline our thinking in this way that this is not our treasure. This is not our treasure. It's not wrong to enjoy, by the way. I mean, the things of this earth. He gives us all good things, James says. He's a good God. God is good. God gives us all good things. But again, we don't want to have our treasure here. Yeah, I mean, if good things come, and Paul had times of of rejoicing. He had times of feasting. He had times of friendship and fellowship. And, but yet he lived with this constant threat of death that he was going to exit this life. And, and his life, he lived it differently because of that. So again, uh, chapter 6, you just want to see one other. This kind of leads us up to here. Verse 9. Uh, As unknown and yet known well-known, as dying, and behold, we live. See, again, and, and all he's trying to get at is, you know, these are the, these are the things that are going on in my life. Uh, he was under the constant threat of death. And the question is this, how did he face it? Well, he faced it like a soldier in the front lines. See, he faced death with the, with the attitude of this, Lord, if you take me today, that's okay. I'm going to live my full life for you. Now, again, we've been looking at how do you, what are the secrets of endurance? What he didn't do is this. He didn't get depressed. He wasn't devastated. He didn't get lethargic. Woe is me, any of that, right? He, he had a total focus on who Christ was, and therefore he was able to live life 
to the fullest for Christ because he didn't get discouraged. He didn't get depressed knowing, even though he knew uh, that he could die at any moment. In fact, see, this would be the thing. Like Paul, so how are you going to approach ministry? If, if people are trying to kill you because of the message, are you going to tone down the message? You know what you find with Paul? The more he was threatened, the more intense he got with the message. See, it didn't, it didn't decrease, it increased in his life. Again, that's, that's the uh, power of God. Uh, that the more intense the persecution, the bolder Paul became. That's how it should be in all, every one of our lives. He became more confident, more courageous. In fact, as you're in 2 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 5 now. Um, because I just want to... And we're only going to look at verses 1 to 8. I'm only going to look at verse 1 just a little bit today. We're going to kind of hop around. All I'm trying to do is create that foundation. See, we've been looking at suffering and sickness and all this other stuff. The reality is, what's the worst worst that the world can throw at you? Death. So let's get a real good perspective of death. Okay? Now again, not in a morbid way, but just say, okay, if even the worst happened from the world's perspective, what's what's the biblical perspective of that? And you find that in chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. It says, For we know, for we know, in other words, we're confident, that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, that's the body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the glorified body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. That's the glorified body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent this body of ours, being burdened. Any of you being burdened by your body? Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. Now, that's a very important word. We are always confident. I think some versions say courageous. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, how did he look at death? Well, you see it right here. First of all, verse 6 says, being always confident. Or the New American says, being of good courage. And I looked up that word. What does that mean? Well, it means of good cheer. I'm always of good cheer. Wait, Paul, you could exit this life at any moment. He said, no, no. But I am absolutely confident. I am courageous. I am of good cheer that where I'm going is better than where I'm at. Because again, verse 1 says what? This is just a tent. This is just a tent. So he is courageous. And, and not only that, but look at the second part of verse uh, 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased. Or the New American says, prefer. In other words, he preferred death. Now this is, this is, this is where we have to get our perspective. He preferred to die than to live. I, I dare say most of us don't think that way. He preferred to die rather than to live. And, I, and I'm not saying this in a sadistic way or anything like that, like, oh, he just had a death wish. No, no, we're not talking about that. He's just saying, listen, because I walk by faith, because that's what he said in verse 7, 
Because I walk by faith, I know that my treasure is not here, it's there. And I would rather be with the Lord. Now, I'm at home in the body right now, but if I'm at home in the body, I'm, not, I'm absent from the Lord. And my treasure, by the way, your treasure, your, your treasures are there as Christians. Everything that's most precious to a believer is there. That doesn't mean that I have a death wish or you should have a death wish, like I just want to die. No, no. But if you say it this way, you know what? I know that it's better there. And, and Lord, if you take me, I'm okay. That's hard. I, I'm not going to kid you. I mean, again, I went through a lot of stuff. And I would like to see my grandkids grow up. But I, I realized through studying this, I've got to make sure that I have a biblical perspective. I want to make sure you have a biblical perspective. I think sometimes as Christians, we say we're Christians, and we are, many of you are Christian. Maybe most of you are Christian. But then when we get to this whole subject of death and this earth and leaving here to go there, we almost fight with an idolatrous love to stay here. And we have to say, wait a second, is that truly biblical? Is that type of thinking biblical? If you go to Philippians 1 verse 21, this was my actually life verse in college. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 23 said this of Paul. I am hard-pressed both, from both directions, having the desire, which means the, the craving, the longing, to depart. See, I have, this, I have this strong desire. In fact, when that word desire is put in the negative, we usually translate it lust. I have this strong desire to depart, Paul says. It's this longing in my heart. In fact, if you ask Paul, I'm sure he'd say it this way. Every day I think about being with Jesus Christ, my king. That's how, he, that's how Paul would respond. Every day I think about being with Christ. I have a desire to depart. But then he says, and be with Christ, for that is very much better. I, I like how the New American, because there's actually three Greek words in the very end of verse 23. It is very much better. The word very much better. To be with Christ is very much better. I mean, uh, he didn't want to emphasize it. He didn't want to double emphasize it. He wanted to triple emphasize it. To be with Christ is very much better. And so he uses three different words all pointing to the same thing. It's the best. To be with Christ is the best. But then he says in verse 24... Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. So why do Christians stay on this earth? Why are we content to be here? Is it because, man, I have so many things that I want to see happen in my life and I just want to enjoy this earth? That's the wrong, that is totally the wrong desire. That is complete. What did Paul say? You know what? I have to be here for you. That's what he'd say. I have to be here for you. So as we think about sticking around, and by the way, I, I hope I don't have to do your funeral anytime soon, okay? And I hope you don't have to do mine. But the point is, if I'm going to be here, I want to be useful to the Lord as far as in your life. That's how we have to think. If I'm sticking around and you're sticking around because, you know what, it's more necessary for you that I'm here, that's good. If it's, well, you know what, I've, I've worked my 35 years and I just want to have a few years where I can enjoy my own life by myself, me, have some me time, that is totally selfish. That is not what Paul said. So we've got to get a biblical thinking here. If you stick around and the Lord leaves you here, 
then make sure you're useful to other believers, other people. Be useful to others. Because that's why Paul says, listen, I would much rather go. I have this strong desire, very much better to be with Christ. But again, it's more useful that I be here. So like, what would be Paul's, you know, what, what is his thinking then? I mean, like if you ask Paul this, Paul, give me your priority list. Give me your priority list of how to live. He would put it this way. Well, and, and you see, we'll see this next week. Well, the top priority would be this. I would love to be raptured. Because he talks about that. He talks about that in Thessalonians. He refers to that in First uh, Corinthians. In other words, what would be the number one way to get out of here? Rapture. Not to even have to see death. And he, he refers to that in 3 and 4. Rapture is the first. You know what the second priority of his would be? Death. And then third priority would be this, that I would stay here. That would be how Paul would say it. I'd love to be raptured and never have to go through the whole death, just right with the presence of the Lord. But if that doesn't happen, then I would rather just be with the Lord, die and be with him. Third priority, I have to stay here because it's more needful for you. Now, reality is this, what? We switch those around, those last two, right? Now, we'd all like to be raptured, most of us. Well, I'd love to be raptured. Gone. And if you're here after we leave, just know there's a problem. You've got to receive Christ, right? But then we would say, you know what, if I'm not raptured, I'd like to stay here for a while longer. See, we don't think that way, but that's how Paul, I mean, you can prove it again, Philippians 1 and uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Or to say it this way, anything less than this, this type of thinking, or to have the world's obsession with emphasizing physical health of the body is, and I'm going to say this carefully, is sub-Christian. That is sub-Christian thinking. That is actually inconsistent with what the Word of God says. It actually verges on, if not uh, of idolatry. If, if, if we are trying to hang on for all that we have just for this earth, then again, idolatrous, inconsistent, it is sub-Christian thinking. That is not how the Bible lays it out. The Bible lays it out as he's our king, he's our treasure, he's our goal. Everything that we treasure is there. Our hearts should yearn to be there, and we're only here for God's purposes. That's why we're here. We're here to be a blessing uh, to God by being a blessing to his people. But it's not about, it's not because I want to enjoy my life here, meism. It's, no, I have a yearning in my heart to be there. That really challenged me as I was thinking about it. That really challenged me. It's like, do I feel like that? Do I really yearn to be in heaven? I liked how uh, Arthur Wood put it. My happiest moment will be when God puts his hand on my heart and stops it beating. No, I don't think that way sometimes. But we got to. Now, as we go into chapter 5, I just want to review very quickly. Because if you don't get verses 16 through 18 of chapter 4, then chapter 5 doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, again, remember when the New Testament was written, they didn't have chapter breaks, they didn't have verse breaks. Um, you know, it was just one run on. So really, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 leads right into chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. 
And again, just in a real quick review, verses 16 to 18 were secrets of running with endurance. If you're going to live here, these are some secrets. Number one, verse 16, we must value spiritual strength over physical strength. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Again, and and as we said, the key thought is this, suffering energizes spiritual growth. So even though our outward man is perishing, is breaking down, Paul says, but my inward man is being renewed. And as your mind is focused on that, it's not about my outward, exercise profits a little, the body is not that important, but it's the spiritual, it's the internal, it's the inward man, that's what's important. Do you see how that sets you up to say, you know, this is just a tent? So we're thinking in those terms. Paul is saying, listen, that's how you run with endurance. The outward, the, uh, excuse me, the spiritual strength is more important than the physical. And the number two was verse 17. We must treasure future reward over present difficulties. Why? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is vapor, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. So again, our, our little bit of affliction here works for us there, which means this, our treasure is there. Not here. So we have light affliction. Lord, give us some affliction to stop us from thinking that this is our treasure. And a lot of you are going through affliction, right? You're going through affliction because God wants to keep convincing you this is not your treasure. That's your treasure. So our future rewards are there. And then finally, we must cherish, this is verse 18, we must cherish the eternal realities over the temporal. Verse 18, while we do not look, remember scope, we're focused, fixated on, while we do not look at the things that are are seen, but the things that are not seen. Why? Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So we focus, and that doesn't come normal, that doesn't come natural. We naturally focus on the things that are seen. But Paul says, listen, if you want to run the race well, you've got to focus on the unseen. In other words, you've got to be able to see through the eyes of faith the invisible. And that's why you've got to get into the Word of God, because the Word of God tells you what's, what's coming for you. I mean, again, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So again, we've got to focus on the unseen. That's, that's very, very difficult. That's why Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. In other words, focus, fixate. We should have heavenly thoughts every day. So, so what, is, what did Jonathan Edwards say? All right, I focus on my death. But in focusing on my death, I say, well, that's not all there is. I'm going to focus on eternal realities. Because that's where my treasure is. Boy, then you can really run the race well. Can you imagine if we did that, how many worries you wouldn't have? We worry about all the seen things, Right? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it can just totally, what? Zap your strength. Just makes you feel like you are just shriveling right up. Because the worries of this world. And yet, God says, listen, that's just the scene. That's just temporary. Focus on the things that are eternal. Because, by the way, the things that are eternal, temporary, the things over here are, are permanent. Are permanent. And therefore, we can get excited about that because they can't be taken away. Okay, so now, with that in mind, 
Again, Paul has, has already laid those principles down, and he goes right in to look at verse, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, and that's what many work against, this tent is destroyed. And again, he uses the word tent. Why? What is a tent? A, temp, a tent is temporary. By the way, a tent is very uncomfortable. Some of you, I don't know, some of you go tent or, uh, you know, camping. We used to do that. I remember one time we went over to this one place. What was it, Letchworth? Or, anyways, and we, you know, put all our stuff. We just started taking out our tent. And I mean, this rain just came. So much so that the water literally, I mean, like where our tent was, it like literally a river was like underneath our tent. Like, is this supposed to be fun? You know, like four, three or four little kids. I remember we, uh, we said, oh, let's forget the tent. We just kind of put it up and then left for the pizza hut. <laughs> And came back like two hours later. Thankfully, it had been sunny and it was a great time tenting. But the point is, is a tent, you know, is temporary. And we're going to see that more in detail, you know. But when this tent, this, this house of ours is torn down, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. So he's really going from the earthly body, the tent, which will be destroyed, to our heavenly body, which is a building from God, which won't be destroyed. That's our glorified body. So he's making a contrast between our earthly tent and our heavenly home. Now notice different words. Earthly tent, temporary, uncomfortable, not permanent, to someday having a permanent, stable, comfortable, everything... Uh, use the word permanent again, never to be taken away type of scenario. And that's what we're looking for. And this building is from God, not made with hands. And I'm going to say more about that next week. So when the doctor, I'll use my terminology, may someday look at me and say, it's terminal and you only have a short time to live, how do I respond to that? Do I look at it as a tent? Or Lord... Lord, you just gotta, you gotta heal me. No, you gotta look at it the right way. Now, again, some of you are gonna have to come to me, come to some of you other ones that are going through whatever trial, and say, "Listen, let's think about this biblically." Now, hopefully, you do it in a gentle way. But the, <laughs> I'm going back to my ways. I sometimes get, uh, but the point is, is that you know we have to look at death in this tent. Because otherwise, it's sub-Christian. So, let's very quickly, as we close, what does, how is death presented in Scripture? How is death of a saint presented in Scripture? Well, first of all, let me just go back to Genesis. You know, God prevented Adam and Eve from eternal sinfulness by giving them the gift of death, the ability to exit this life and arrive safely in the wondrous, wonderful life to come. Death, though it would appear to be man's greatest enemy, would in the end prove to be his greatest friend. That's, I mean, that's what you see in Genesis chapter 3. You're going to die. All right, you died spiritually, but you're also going to die physical. Why? Because that's the opportunity to take you from this eternal state. And can you imagine if they ate of the other tree? Forever in an eternal state of death. No, no, you're going to, God gave the gift of death to Adam and Eve to exit this corrupt death zone to get to the next. So that's the first thought. 
but this is how death is um, referred to in Scripture. It's referred to as a departure uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah. Remember, it was Moses, Elijah, and Christ, and Peter, James, and John were there. And, and Moses and Elijah were talking of Christ's departure, that he would be deceased. And that's, that's one of the ways... That death is looked at. Death, and it was, it was about his crucifixion. Okay? So they were talking about his departure. Death is just seen as a departure. Now, when you, when, what do you mean departure? Well, when you go on a trip, you have to depart. So that's how innocent death is looked upon. That it's just, you're, you're departing. You're just leaving here, going on a trip to somewhere else. That's one of the ways that death is seen in Scripture. It's an exit. In fact, if you remember in the second book of the Old Testament, the exodus is where what? The people went from here to there. They exited the land of Egypt. They just left. It was a departure. And over and over again in Scripture, death is seen like that. It's just a departure. It's just you're leaving this area to go to a different area. Okay? You're leaving earth to go to heaven. So that's the first way. Um, In John 13, 36... Simon Peter said to Christ, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered and said, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. See, I'm departing, and you're going to follow me, and I'm leading the way, and you're going to follow me to that thing. And so it's just a simple departure. Um, now, if I told you I'm departing for a trip, would that be threatening to you? That shouldn't be threatening. Why? Because I'm going from here to somewhere else. And that's how, that's how, I mean, I think about some of the believers that have gone on. Lee Ryan Sr. and, uh, and um, Louise. You know, I remember doing their funeral. And it's like, nope, Margie. Nope. They, just, they just departed, just departed. I know where they are. You know where they are? Lord, the scripture is very clear that they, they took a trip. And they arrive safely. So that's the first way we have to look at it. Uh, one time a little girl was asked whether she feared walking through a cemetery. She replied, no, I'm not afraid. My home is on the other side. That's how it is with death. Uh, the next one, and many of you know this one, death is seen as a restful sleep. It's restful. It's just uh, over and over again it's referred to as sleeping uh, when Christ entered the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he comforted the crowd by saying that the ruler's daughter was not dead but sleeping. In, in Luke chapter 8, verse 52, it says, Do not weep, she is not dead but sleeping. Now, she was dead. But how did he refer to it? She's sleeping. She's just sleeping. Uh, to Lazarus, same thing. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. Now, he, there again, resurrection. But I go to wake him, but he's sleeping. Uh, many of you had a, a really good night's rest last night. Were you all fearful when you went to bed? Oh, what am I going to do? No. Actually, most of, you know, the older you get, it's like, yeah, just let me go to bed. <laughs> right? You look forward to that. Because you know what? You're going to be rejuvenated. That's why he uses... I mean, he uses it over and over again. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 6, uh, same thing. It says, uh, those who have fallen asleep, 
Verse 20, those who have fallen asleep. Same thing with verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says it three times. Sleep, sleep, sleep. What? Death is referred to sleep. Why? Because sleep is not supposed to be threatening. And during sleep, you get rejuvenated. You wake up in a better position than when you went to sleep. Oh, I'm so dead tired, I can't even focus. You get eight hours of sleep, what happens? Man, I feel great. Well, when it comes to death, that's how it's going to be. You know, all the problems of this world. When you wake up on the other side, you will be more alive than you've ever been. Okay? So it's a restful sleep. It's a departure. It's a restful sleep. Matthew Henry said, How pleasantly does the good man speak of dying as if it were but an undressing and going to bed. He was referring to that sleep concept. So, number three. It's also referred to as a sailing of a ship. And we looked at this in Philippians 1.21, where Paul says this, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire, a craving to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And that word depart, having a, a desire to depart, that was that word, of a sailing of a ship, because that's how it was used. It was where the ship would, uh, would take the, the anchor and, and you know, uh, the rope and untie it so that he could get out to sea. It was also used of a tent, actually, where they would break the tent down and the pegs would come up and the ropes would come up and everything would be put together so they could move from point A to point B. Let's say uh, in the army, they, they would set up their tents at night and then they'd pull stakes and move on. And that's how that word depart was used. It was used of breaking up of a camp, loosing of an anchor, putting out to sea. And that's why Paul said it was very much better. In fact, he said, at this time, I'm not going to be departing. But remember 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, it says this, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure, same word, is at hand. In 2 Timothy 4, he said, listen, I'm just about ready to die. And he did. That was the last book he wrote. Ended up getting killed by Nero. Now, you start thinking about this. Okay, so death is like a departure, going to a different land. It's like a restful sleep. It's, um, it's like the sailing of a ship. In other words, you're going on an adventure. Uh, it's like a collapsing tent. We've been looking at that analogy. It's just a tent. You know, uh, I mean, again, a tent is uncomfortable. It's temporary. You don't want to be in that very long. It's hard. I mean, over in, that, uh, over in that area, many people lived in tents all the time. I remember when I was in Israel, we visited one. You know, you sit down and they're dirty and they've got to be uncomfortable and it's hot. It's not like a home where a home would be cool because of the bricks. I mean, it was just very, very a hard situation. So when Paul wrote and said, we're like a collapsing tent... In their minds, especially if there were nomads out in the desert, they would get that picture immediately. Yeah, who wants to be in a tent the rest of their life? You know? So it's like a collapsing tent. Often in need of repaired. Often tattered. Often being uh, pushed around by the sands and the winds of the desert. We're just like a collapsing tent. But, But let me end with this one. By the way, because we're pilgrims and aliens. But number five is this, death ushers us to our permanent home, to our permanent. You know, we have a real place that we can call home. We don't want to call this place home. 
I, I remember when I... Uh, when my mother and father sold their house, and I had lived in that since I age five, and they just sold it a couple years ago, and I'm what? So for about 50 years, they owned this home, 5095 Ellicott Road. And I remember when they finally sold it, I was like, oh, it's just kind of like, oh. you know, that's where I had all my memories. That's where I, you know, all the different things. You know, I even go by there. In fact, I even want to stop one of these days and just kind of peer into the kitchen. But you know what? It's not our home anymore. It's not our home. Why? Because I'm sure they've changed everything. They've probably ripped up that yellow floor I never liked anyways. You know, but that's how it is. But for us, we have a home, but this is not our home. And that's what uh, Jesus talks about in, in John 14. It says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, have t- I would have told you. I go, now just catch this little phrase, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says it again in verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you. And then at the end of that, he says that where I am, there you may be also. What is he getting at? A place for you. He's saying, listen, that's your real home. See, where you are now, you're going to have to leave. It's not, it's not your place. Now, you can think it's your place. Just don't pay your taxes for a while and you'll find out how much of a place it is, right? No, I... I you know, it's just, it's amazing, you know, as you get older, you start watching people and, and what they thought they had and what they really don't have. But I go to a, prepare a place for you. That's yours. Now again, don't think of it like mansions like this, you know, gold and so. It, the idea is it's a place for you. That's the whole emphasis of uh, John chapter 14. It's a place where you can call home because that's your home. See, that's your treasure. There's where your Lord is and that's where you belong. I love that. In fact, sometimes when people are older and they've had a lot of disease and they're in their bed, you know, and they're at the final moments of their life and they, they start talking and, you know, and then they're inviting death. They want to go home and that's what they'll say. I, this is what they'll say. I just want to go home. They're not talking about home on 5095 Ellicott Road. They're saying, I just want to be with the Lord. Why? Because their heart is saying, listen, that's where my treasure is. That's where I belong. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could just live like that now? That's our home. Now again, enjoy. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We should enjoy, I, I am so enjoying, we're going to take a couple trips with the kids, I'm enjoying, I want to go up to Niagara Falls, I want to go to the Thousand Islands, I want to see Bolt Castle, any of you ever seen Bolt Castle? I want to see Bolt Castle, I haven't seen that for a long, I've never seen it, what am I saying for a long time, never seen it. <laughs> In my dreams I saw it, on the internet. But the point is, is this is not, what if I never can do that? Alright, so what? Right? But that's home. And there should be a longing in my heart for there. Okay? So that's how the Bible pictures death. Death is what releases me to be able to go home. That should be where my longing... You know, that's why Paul says in uh, chapter 5, you know, I'm, I'm at home in the body right now, but I desire to be at home with the Lord. I want to be there. So let me just close with this before we do our final worship song. This is, how, this is kind of like a summary of today. That we should look at death not as morbid. We should look at death not as threatening. That the Bible paints death as 
It's the chariot that brings you home. It's the chariot that brings you home to your treasure and to your Lord. As Christians, quote, as Christians, we should not fear death. Rather, we should long to depart and be with Christ, for that is far much better, like Philippians 1.23 says. Now, that does not mean, of course, that, that, they, that we uh, should be foolish and reckless and careless with our lives since our bodies belong to God. I mean, our, our, temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not advocating being, uh, you know, um, careless with our lives because we want to take care of what God has given us so that we can honor Him, that we can serve Him. But, let's, let me finish but an obsessive concern for one's physical well-being or a morbid fear of death is inconsistent with the Christian perspective. Believers should long for heaven like a prisoner longs for freedom, like a sick man longs for health, like a hungry man longs for food, like a thirsty man longs for a drink, and like a poor man longs for a payday. And like a soldier longs for peace. That's how we should, that's what heaven, no, we, we should long for it and desire it. It should be on our hearts and our, our minds. Hope and courage in facing death is the last, I love this, is the last and perhaps the best opportunity for Christians to exhibit their faith in God, to prove their hope of heaven is genuine, and to adorn their confidence in the promises of God. In other words, as, as you even end, the, end your life. As a person watches that person ending their life, it's probably your best opportunity to prove your faith. Right? Because everything that you have said you live for now is being lived out. Because if your treasure is here, you're going to try to grab and just kick and scream, and I don't want to leave. But if your treasure is there, and you treat it that way, and you live that truth... What does that say to the watching world? They have true faith. They really believe what they have said all these years. So again, these are important truths, not just to live by while you're living, but even if God calls us home, how we walk through that valley will show a lot to the watching world as to what our faith really was. So I trust that it's real, it's true, and as we look at death, we say, you know what? We need to think about it because it gives us perspective of life today. Let's stand as we worship.